This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Love Brand You, the show about personal branding, how your values, beliefs, and actions help you define and discover your calling and the evolution of you and your brand. I'm your host, Sam Rafus. Today is February 14th, Valentine's Day. It's also my cousin's birthday, and I think of her every year on Valentine's Day. So I will say happy birthday, Jalel. And Valentine's Day is also fitting to talk about love, of course. And before my guest and I talk about our take on love and relationships, as usual, I scour the internet and I Google for fun facts. So I thought it would be fun to share a few things that I found out. I didn't know all of this and I thought it would be kind of cool. So number one, the most popular theory about Valentine's Day origin is that Emperor Claudius II didn't want Roman men to marry during wartime. Bishop Valentine went against his wishes and performed secret weddings. For this, Valentine was jailed and executed. While in jail, he wrote a note to the jailer's daughter signing it from your Valentine. So there's some question whether that's true or not, but it is a tale that's told. Two, in Victorian times, it was considered bad luck to sign a Valentine's Day card. And I remember when I was young getting Valentine's Day cards at school and they weren't signed. So I don't know if that was just for something like that, other than just to make sure that everybody got a valentine. Uh, Number three, let's see, about one billion Valentine's Day cards are exchanged every year. It makes it the second largest seasonal card sending time of the year. More than 35 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates will be sold for Valentine's Day. And what else have I got here? Over 1 billion worth of chocolate is purchased on this day in the United States alone. 189 million stems of roses are sold in the U.S. today. Teachers receive the most Valentine's Day cards, followed by children, mothers, wives, sweethearts, and even our pets. And there are approximately 220,000 wedding proposals on Valentine's Day each year. So some fun facts for you. And whether you like and celebrate Valentine's Day or not, it still encourages us to think about love and relationships. Today, my guest and I will talk about her story and our thoughts on love and relationship. Sandra Losty hails from Dublin, Ireland, and is a spiritual officiant, who she tells me is coming up on 500, close to 500 wedding ceremonies 
Sandra is the creator of the Perfect Wedding Experience, an online wedding planning information resource to help couples create the perfect wedding experience. Sandra works closely with couples to ensure they, as a couple, are reflected in their ceremony and wedding celebrations in a way that creates a memorable day for all the right reasons. She is a licensed solnizer who can perform legally binding ceremonies under the Umbrella Group Spiritual Ceremonies for the past seven, eight years. And you guessed it, like many of my guests, we connected via social media. For Sandra and me, it was over Twitter. A few months ago, she had commented on one of my earlier podcasts and I wanted to learn more about her. So we started connecting over Twitter and talking and we actually had a lot in common from not only our names to our spiritual beliefs and ended up talking and laughing quite a bit when I was looking at the calendar for uh, the podcast calendar and I realized that Wednesday falls on Valentine's Day, I had said to Sandra that this would be the perfect day to have her on the show. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you very much, Sam. It's a real pleasure to talk to you today. Well, I'm really excited for you to share your story with us. So I've talked enough for now. Get us going with your backstory and why you do what you do now. Yeah, I, thank you. I'd be delighted. I, as you said, I am an officiant. I can perform legally binding ceremonies, which means people are legally wed on the day that we do their ceremony. And it's important to say that because in Ireland, for many years, people would have to have a registry office ceremony to do the legal part. And then they would have some sort of a celebration, you know, with somebody to perform the ceremony of their, their union. And that changed in 2004 in Ireland, where there were groups of people who were given a license to perform the legally binding ceremonies. And spiritual ceremonies is one of those groups. And I became involved in spiritual ceremonies because I was doing a group, a kind of a spiritual coaching group with a group of women. And it was particularly around women who were in the healing profession and the healing arts and crafts and one of the things that became very obvious to me with this group of women was their inability to align finances with spiritual work and from my perspective it's an exchange but from their perspective there was a huge divide so I started to work with these women in a personal development capacity. And as we got down into some of the reasons behind this, some of the beliefs that they had, it actually became apparent that they thought money and spirituality didn't go together. So I felt I had to address that. I felt I had to do something. So we did some coaching sessions, we did some group work, 
And over the course of a couple of years, there was a core group of women that stayed together, prim primarily women. And then there was people that kind of came in and out of the group. And over that time, they narrowed that gap, which I'm very happy to, to say they did. They narrowed that gap. And some of them opened businesses, some of them opened their, their healing businesses, some of them opened, one girl in particular did work with children. She set up this jamboree, which is about a fun way of after school for kids. It was, it was fantastic. And built confidence in themselves. So that, that made me very happy. And in the meantime, the umbrella body that holds the license, the Spiritualist Union of Ireland, were granted the license to perform the ceremonies. And so as a member of that body, I was asked to become one of the celebrants, one of the officiants, and I did so. And I'll be totally honest with you. I did it because I thought it would be interesting and because I'm a confident person and I can stand in front of a group and I knew there wouldn't be a problem with that. What I didn't bank on was how much I would absolutely love doing this work. You know, I didn't bank on that at all. And I found myself hearing people's stories. I found myself asking questions that really helped me understand people's relationships, what their values were, what was bringing them together, and more importantly, what was holding them together. And it just became this, this wondrous thing. Like, really, it's, it's, it's an absolute privilege to be a part of a couple's day. So intimately, you become friends. You know, they, people will refer to me as their friend or I'm like family. At this stage now, I've married brothers and sisters of couples, you know. In fact, I've even married the mother of a daughter whose ceremony I did. So there was this nearly kind of extended family that, that happens around that. So it's just, it just brings me such joy. And I'm just so happy to be able to be a part of people staying that way. Well, and it's not just the wedding ceremony itself. And we were talking about that before too. It's the whole part of getting into that experience. So what makes it, what makes it different than someone just saying, okay, I'm going to hire a minister or I'm going to hire somebody to come and do the wedding ceremony. You, because you, your business is the perfect wedding experience. So yes. explain that process or give us an example of what you would do. Yes, absolutely. So primarily people will find me because of a referral. Nine times out of ten, it's a referral from somebody else. And when they contact me, I will have the conversation around how is the wedding planning going? And invariably, people will tell you how stressed they are on degrees, you know. So someone starting off is... Well, we have the venue and we have you and we have that for now. And then they can't quite see what else needs to be done. Or they're in the middle of the, what we call the big stuff and they've lost sight of something important. So my conversation with them is to try and bring them back to why are you doing this in the first place? Because when we talk about the wedding planning process, the word stress and stressful and very stressful 
will invariably creep in there. And when I talk to people about this being an experience and a joyful experience and an enjoyable experience. It's and like bringing it's back love. Bringing back love. Love. Exactly. Yeah. It's like. The very, the very reason that, you know, this is why you're doing it. And exactly. You, I would think that you get caught up in the pieces of yeah. putting it all together. Absolutely. And, and that's what happens is is that people cannot see this as an enjoyable experience. And invariably what happens is they're losing out on the experience of this transition that's happening in their life. Because the wedding planning process is moving from a single life, even if you're living together or you've shared your life together for a long time, there's a, there's a legal element that's changing, but there's also an inner element that's changing, that you're now moving into this place where you're publicly declaring that you are going to spend a lot of time with this person, you know, and that your relationship has shifted and changed and that the love has deepened and grown so much so that you're ready to take this step now. So when we have that piece about why are you doing this? Why are you actually getting married? Then they start to think about, well, we want to spend our lives together or we want to raise a family or you know, I can't actually see life without the other person, you know, and you almost tangibly feel a softness, you know, their, their stress softens because they've connected back to why they're doing it in the first place, which is they have a feeling and they have a hope and an aspiration of their future with this person, you know, so it's, it's bringing it back to that and then helping them understand that the planning process can be an enjoyable process because there's, there's an intention behind that to bring emotion through their lives, which is starting with love. And it's very often it's a relief for people because they go, God, we completely forgot. We totally lost touch with why we were doing this because they've got distracted with this venue, that price, that supplier, that vendor, you know, this thing not going the right way. And they, they, they lose connection with that. And, and invariably, that has kind of impacts on their relationship in how they are communicating with one another, you know. So bringing it back to the common ground that they both agreed on in the first place helps to, you know, move that process on a little bit. And we start using that language of this being an enjoyable experience and that their wedding can be that perfect wedding experience because... They are connected to what they're doing and why they're doing. Nice. How, how do you get your, your core values to help your clients have their perfect day? My core values are listening, listening to people and really being interested in their story, really being interested in them as people. Because I will look at my, my aim for them or my intention for them is that they as people, in however much they want to show us on their day, is allowed to come forward. That we're not doing this production process. You know, we're not doing um, the you know, the uh, conveyor belt wedding, 
we are doing this because they are they have made this commitment to one another and that my job and my skills and my abilities are able to build rapport with people that they feel they can allow me into their lives a little bit so it's about trust and it's about confidentiality and it's about rapport and that can come forward and that's what their guests see on the day you know their guests get connected to them on the day rather than this separate couple up here and there down there you know there's like it's a connection i suppose that is my core the core word that i use is that everything is joined up and everything is connected you know and so people start to feel almost expansive in that they can they can understand that it's not just i do i do it's oh oh there's there's this and this connects to this bit and that reading reflects my relationship and that speech is about what we're doing and why we're doing so they start to see the connection you know so really it's about connecting at that core level and allowing those core values to carry that process through because it's quite a delicate process it's quite delicate for people you're holding people's relationship for a, a short period of time you're minding it almost you know and to be to be very you know it's a very precious thing that people trust you with this you know so it's, it's about making sure people know I, I, I am as precious about this for them as they are about it for themselves. That's so nice to, to hear the, the connection in your voice and to, I, I can feel the emotion being one of those couples. You can feel that you are as invested in it as them. So I can, <laughs> I can, yeah. I can see why, like you said, you, you fell in love with the process and you, you didn't know that you would enjoy it that much. Yes. Yes. And you and I, like many, many people that I've talked with, we, we have our past experiences that bring us to what we're doing and everything that we've been through has an impact on what brings us to what we're what we're doing now what we're good at and everything that you're talking about that you're so good at creating these experiences lots of times something comes from a trauma and yeah. i know that you again we we talked about some tragic events in in our lives and that has impacted your work but I want you to tell us about that, but we do need to take a break. So think about that while we take a break and what you can share with our audience when we come back. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Are you a speaker who has an inspiring, insightful message that will help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? If the answer is yes, we invite you to become a pro member of the eWomen Speakers Network. 
We have over 500,000 women connected through 118 chapters spread across North America. We're looking for speakers to share their wisdom and breakthrough ideas. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and join our speakers network. The benefits for pro speakers are incredible. Go to eWomenNetwork.com. Welcome back to Love Brand You with my guest, wedding, oh, spirit, uh, wedding officiant, spiritual officiant, Sandra Losty. Sandra, you and I talked uh, about our past events, how they impact and shape who we become. And I found your story fascinating. Um, a little bit heart-wrenching and but at the end of it so amazing to hear where you are now so what would you like to share with us about that experience sure yes um and i i may uh, warn the the listeners that you know it is quite uh, um, a story i uh, at a very young age in our family, there was quite a lot of uh, stories. There was quite a lot of drama, other people's stories, other people's tragedies. They were very close in the family home, you know, so proximity. There was a lot of stuff going on when, when I was very young. And uh, one of the things we talked about one of the days that, that we spoke was uh, my hearing is my mother used to say that one has the hearing of a bat. Because I would, I would sense what was going on in the room from where I was, which was probably upstairs in, in bed. And I would know exactly what was going on without hearing a word. So my hearing became extremely attuned to the movement in the house and the tone of voice in the house and what was going on. And you knew when it was safe to go and when it was safe, when you needed to stay. And that was down to... I suppose, reading what was going on for my father, because my father was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic many, many, many years ago. And the treatment wasn't quite what it is today. You know, there was a lot of electric shock treatment. There was a lot of electric shock treatment. There was a lot of medication. And, you know, it, I suppose in comparison to today's treatment, I can see a vast difference in how his quality of life and people's quality of life is very different today. But he would have had quite uh, serious episodes, very, very serious episodes of psychosis. And very often they would have included an attempt on his life. And unfortunately, the last time he tried this, he was successful in taking his own life. He, he ended his own life. And whatever was going on in the poor man's mind, whatever delusion he was in, my sister, my, my middle sister, Rita, and my brother, David, who was four years older than me, and Rita was seven years older than me, I'm the youngest, and I was in school. Whatever was going on in his delusion, uh, they, were, they were part of this delusion, and something told him to um, remove them from this delusion, and, and by that I mean physically. So there was, there was an attack made on both of them and my brother survived his injuries, quite um, serious physical injuries with a 
a hatchet. He was beaten with a hatchet. And my sister uh, was beaten with a hammer over her head. And she had serious separation that day. And the doctors basically said the next day that her injuries were so severe that she would never live without a, a life support machine. So my mother was in hospital at that time. She had quite serious blood pressure. And in our house, my mother would go into hospital because my father would come out of hospital. And then when he'd go into hospital, she'd come out of hospital. So they were, there was always only one of them in the house at any one time, you know. And so Rita, unfortunately, um, her injuries were so severe, my older sister Mary had to make that decision to turn the life support machine off. And she was only 21 at the time. So that must have been horrendous to have to make that huge decision about your sister because my mother was deemed medically incapable of making a decision in in that way you know so that's that's i suppose that's the the story around that but where i come into this was that morning going to school i was 10 at the time and my father had been eating toast and i don't like butter or cream or milk i don't like i just don't like the smell of it don't like the taste of it and as I was going to school, he'd been eating toast. He bent down to give me a kiss. And there was butter on his, on his lips, you know, going to school to give, give me a kiss. And I went, as any 10-year-old would do when they don't like something, you know, tasting butter was horrible. And then my father died that day. He, he took his own life in a, um, quite a serious manner. Um, he used a knife to uh, put his throat and his wrists. So the, the bathroom is very destroyed with the, with the blood, as you can imagine. And the moment I heard that he, he, had, he had died because he was taken out of the house, he was, you know, deceased, there was no saving him, it was very severe. I immediately thought, oh my God, he killed himself because of me, because I wiped that kiss away. As so, any 10-year-old would do. As any 10-year-old would do, internalize this. You have no, absolutely no comprehension of mental illness. I didn't understand what his mental illness was or what it involved. I was 10. I had no clue of any of that stuff. But that embedded in me as a child that it was my fault. And therefore, I should just stay away from people because I'm bad and I kill people, you know. I can't be loved and and did that affect how you loved your family? I became quite uh, distant I suppose uh, growing up from that then I, I had this there was almost like this gap between me and them you know and they had their own ways of dealing with all of this as well we were all in our own crisis mode kind of thing but that but that was mine where I never fully kind of I never fully related to them. I, I would describe them, this is going to sound terrible, but I would describe them as people I am related to by blood. That's how I related to my family, that I'm related to them by, by blood. But that was the only connection. That was, that was it. Like we had the same name, the same parents. And if somebody needed a kidney, I'd give you a kidney, but I wouldn't miss you if you weren't there. You know? So... It's only in later life I realized that I didn't allow myself to feel connected to people because 
they just disappeared so drastically. Like in 24 hours, both my father and my sister got, right. you know, and, and then my mother, five years later, I then shared a, a room with my mother then because we lived in a, a small house, you know, small um, two up, two down house. And, um, and she died in her sleep. And I actually found her dead beside me in the bed, you know. So it was almost like anyone you got close to, they just die and you kill them because you're close to them. So that warmed its way in my head for a long, long, long number of years. And I tried many avenues to, to deal with that by not dealing with it. Right. I thought there was lots of answers in glasses that were filled with alcohol and lots of relationships that went nowhere because I would suddenly realize, oh, I like this person. And then I'd go, oh, I'm going to kill them. And I would go, I'd be gone, you know? So... It was there. All of those signs were there that I, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't dealing very well with, with life. But I'm still in that crisis mode, still in that um, self-protective mode. I was there for quite a number of years, quite a number of years. Yeah. So what turned it around? Because obviously from every conversation that you and I have had and from what you do now, I mean, 500 ceremonies and how many years of happy, loving couples, and we know from just hearing your voice and talking with you that you, you dealt with it somehow because you're yes. well-adjusted, you, you've come through it. So share with us how you made that transition. So the, thankfully, the transition started with getting into recovery. I'm very, I am so grateful that I got into recovery from alcoholism at 28, and I... I have a little bit of sadness around that being all of my teenage years and all of my 20s bar one was consumed by, by ferocious drinking and all of the situations that come with, with that kind of drinking. We're very happy that at least one of my years in my 20s and from there on up to the present day, you know, I haven't had a drink in nearly 23 years and I, I, I have such a different life uh, there are times I even forget I used to drink. Life is so different, you know. And getting involved in education obviously helped to become that bit more adjusted, to build friendships. I didn't really even have friendships for, for a long number of years. I, I had people that I knew I used to go to school with, but I had no relationship with them. I had no friendship. We didn't go places. We didn't go anywhere because I was too busy drinking and they were too busy living their life and doing things that you do at those developmental stages. And I, I wasn't doing them. So I had quite a lot of catching up to do in my thirties that I probably should have been doing in my teenage years, you know, building friendships and building relationships and understanding going to work and responsibility and paying bills and all of that stuff. I, I had to learn, you know, the hard way. And then I had, I had a moment there some years ago where I, I realized that I would say something that struck me quite, quite deeply one day. And I used to say, if my mom and Rita were still alive, that's my sister who, who died. If my mom and Rita were still alive, I'd be a different person. I'd be a nicer person. Now, I'm not quite sure why I thought that, but I did. 
But I never for one moment ever thought if my dad was still alive, I'd be a nicer person. And I had this, this dawning, this, this moment of clarity where I thought, oh my God, I don't even think about the poor man. I don't even think about him in any terms in my life at all. I, I, I have no room for him really in, in this. So I went on a spiritual journey. I went uh, on a walk to the Camino de Santiago in uh, Partibus in Spain, and I did a stretch of that walk. It's a beautiful pilgrimage, very old pilgrimage. And you do the Camino, you know, you, you do yes. the Camino, it's, you know, and it's in you. You can see signs that the Camino was in you, wonderful. And while on that walk, I, I was blessed with the insight, and I, I will say that I was blessed with the insight that I, I was a 10-year-old child when that incident with my dad happened. And that's where that developmental stage was stunted. It was stunted there. And I could never understand what it was like to have an adult relationship with him. You know, I couldn't because I only had 10 years of reference, you know. And there was almost like this freeing up of, this, this, I, I can't even explain it properly, but it's like there was a realization that I had a guilt about not wanting him or not having him, seeing him in a good light, even though I would understand he was mentally unwell, you know, he wasn't in his right mind. I totally understood that there was no blame, completely got that, but I still hadn't incorporated his memory into my life the way my sister and my mother was, you know? For the compassion. So, a bit of compassion, exactly, exactly. And, and feeling the compassion, it wasn't, it was some sort of a mental realization I had where I needed it to be a heart experience, you know? And in that moment, it was almost like two things fired off at the same time. In that moment, it was almost like I got a vision of why I didn't engage in relationships the way my friends did over years because I kept coming back, I kept pulling back, you know. And there was another experience with a relationship I had where um, the, the chap I was involved with for a number of years uh, died suddenly. We had a bit of a row, you know, as couples do, and had a silly row, was really inconsequential and he had a brain aneurysm that night and died you know so I had another experience of when you get close to people they die you know but in this moment on the Camino I had this realization about my dad and then I had this almost like a a, a screen a, a, a cinematic screen of and look at how you've been in relationships all your life. You've been constantly keeping yourself away because you believe that people just disappear because you kill them. You know, you, you make them die or something you do causes this. You know? Well, and you, you have to protect yourself. And yeah. when you're talking about that, I can, I can feel it. It would be a barrier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And getting involved in being able to help couples have that connection and connect them back to why they're doing what they're doing, which is getting married and, and becoming unified in, in their lives going forward. It was almost like I was able to engage with that 
safely. You know, it was almost like I was allowed that, that privilege to go, look, Sandra, it, this, this is possible. This is possible. And, and generate those feelings that I had completely blocked off for all of those years. Completely blocked off. I wouldn't, in a moment, would be terrified to feel that feeling in case somebody disappeared. So for, and, so for your own relationship, so you're creating these, you know, wonderful experiences for your clients. How, how has it helped your own relationships? It's, for now, it's, I am understanding how I have operated for, for this length of time. It's like, I am beginning to see, even though it's taken this amount of ceremonies um, and happy couples, I am beginning to see that it is safe to feel love and it is safe to express that love. And that's quite a revelation to me. You know, that's quite a, oh my God. And I see it, each time I see that in a couple, it affirms, it's building up, I suppose, that experience of, Love does conquer all. Love is what makes the world go round. And it's building up that resilience to that because I've so much experience of keeping it away. And now I'm allowing that stack or that, that balance to be on the side of love. So I'm more hopeful than I've ever been. More hopeful than I've ever been, yes. I can, I can see it and I can feel it. Um, and I, I ask every, everyone every week, what's one of your best daily habits that, oh. that keeps, keeps you aligned? Yes, I, I meditate every day. Every morning I get up and I meditate. And, and that is part of my 12-step program anyway to to improve my conscious contact with God as I understand him. And I would have done that on quite a mechanical level before where it was stilling the mind and, you know, kind of connecting to my body, you know, because I, I would have operated from the head up for so long, you know. And now I use that time to listen. I To listen to that still voice that is my guide you know it is the it's the voice that's constantly there it's the voice that constantly is saying it's okay Sandra it's safe and it's a lovely soft voice it's a lovely nurturing gentle voice and I'm able to hear that now I'm able to hear it is safe it the world is a safe place I don't have to be living in this crisis mode or protecting myself from some horrible experience the world is a safe place. So that's my meditation now is feeling that safety and then building up that, I suppose, security in engaging with the world fully. And love for yourself. And love for myself, yeah. yeah. We yeah. hear it all the time that, you know, in, in order to love other people, we have to love ourselves. And, and in, in it's hard to to do that sometimes it is. because it is. we talk about, you know, we, we have love for our parents, for our siblings, for our children, for our friends. And it, 
we have to give that same love back to ourselves. So I think in the meditation, when you're talking about it, that softness, to me, it's, it, I'm hearing that you're giving the love back to yourself. And yes. when you were, when you were talking about um, having to stack it up differently, I was thinking about the pendulum, you know, the pendulum. So, so far, sometimes we get the pendulum over on one side of whatever that life event or life crisis is that it takes a long time to, to get, get it back into balance. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny you should talk about the pendulum because one of the things I do as part of the Perfect Wedding Experience is a program called TikTok that's Wedding O'Clock. And it's about, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, it's great. And it's, it's about that, that timing where people, all the big planning is done and it's that timing where they then go, okay, how are we going to be seen or how are we going to reflect ourselves on this day? And that's quite a, it's a fun process. It's, it's engaging and it's fun, but it's also quite emotional because people then start to focus in on the wedding day and the getting married as opposed to the party and the entertaining their guests. They're like, okay, so we're going to be the two of us here and we are going to be, you know, kind of intimate with each other in front of a group of people in how they speak to one another. So the TikTok at Wedding O'Clock is that, that place and their planning where they're able to sit down and go, okay, we need to focus on us now and bring us into this whole process here, you know. So it's great fun and it adds flavor and value and it's robust and it's, it's engaging and it's, you know, it's entertaining and it's full of ideas for people as well. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful energy that's, that's uh, created in that. So I, re and I love the idea of the pendulum because if you see the logo, it's, it's two people hanging on to the hands of the clock, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but they're going willingly. Right. <laughs> Oh, I would, I would love to hear more. We're getting to the end of our show. How can our listeners connect with you, Sandra? They can connect with me on Twitter. Most of my social media is Sandra Losty. And on Twitter, it's at Sandra Losty, and that's L-O-S-T-Y. And how I spell my name is it's lost, as in you don't know where you are, with a Y on the end. <laughs> Because it can sound, it can sound different over the phone. It can sound lofty or, or it's lost as if you don't know where you are or why in the end. So I'm Sandra Losty on Facebook. I'm Sandra Losty at Sandra Losty on Twitter, at Sandra Losty uh, Instagram, Sandra Losty on LinkedIn. I'm Sandra Losty. Yeah. And I'll, as every week, I'll have that on the show notes page and I can put your website as well yeah. if people want to connect with you there. Yeah. Okay, Sandra. Give us your best parting words of wisdom. My best parting words, and I'm saying this today because I actually felt this today. And I know it now to be a truth beyond any truth. Love conquers all. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Sandra. You're very welcome. I was my pleasure and I'm delighted to, to be a part of your show, Sam. Thank you. Okay, listeners, 
head on over to the show page. I'll have Sandra's information there, the perfect wedding experience, and Sandra Losty on um, social media. Head to samrafis.com to join my community. If you like what you heard on today's show, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe to Love Brand You, leave a comment, a review, send me a note, uh, give me a recommendation for a future guest. I'm your host, Sam Rapis. Happy Valentine's Day. And until next time, keep sharing the love. This is the EWN Podcast Network.